Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the CEOs Club and um, CEOs Inspiring Leadership, the board you can't afford. This week, we are discussing about the pandemic, um, the, the challenges that the CEOs who are attending have had, the priorities they've given to how they handle it, lessons for the future, how has it disrupted things, the impact on people, the future of office work, uh, and what about sort of big inflation and choke points down the road? So we're just gonna let each CEO just introduce themselves. And then uh, once they have introduced themselves about what first comes to mind about any of these particular topics. So um, Danny, would you begin to introduce yourself, please? No, thanks, Jonathan. And uh, great to join your, your panel. Um, so I'm CEO at the Foreign and Commonwealth Office Services. And we basically design, build and run uh, government facilities worldwide for the British government and also for foreign governments uh, all, all around the world. Um, and uh, just in terms of your, just in terms of your question around what does the what does the pandemic uh, meant for us? Well, effectively, eighty percent of what we do is overseas, uh, and so it's put a huge disruption into our revenue generating model. Um, and therefore, we've had to be incredibly creative. And so, so a couple of things I'd say. The first thing we did was go straight into business continuity. And I was actually in Australia doing a deal with the Australians at the time they had to do this um, and rush back to London after the World Health Organization described this as a global pandemic. Um, and then pushing the whole organization uh, into um, business continuity, we then set up a gold silver command structure where I focused on all of the external complex sort of strategic and stakeholder and financial elements of the business. Uh, and my chief operating officer focused on all the detailed sort of health and safety and work related activities, including a sort of risk-based schedule on how we make decisions. Uh, and then within that, the sort of most important thing was to keep people safe and keep the infection rates down. Um, once we got, a, got to grips with that, the next thing that we then looked at is, okay, so how bad is this going to affect our revenues and what are we gonna do differently? So we flipped, we flipped that challenge straight into looking across our sectors in business development and went after business that was in areas that um, we could expand and grow more rapidly with the existing customers that we had, in particular in the UK, actually, uh, and also around the world. We looked at how could we cover the responsibilities of our contracts in places where we couldn't access them because there were no flights. Mm. Um, and so a, a sort of completely different approach to delivering some of our services around the world. Um, and then as, as different parts of the world have changed, I'm sort of coming up to present day, um, in some parts of the world, we're finding that, you know, things are getting worse. Other parts of the world, things are getting better. And so we're really trying to sort of make sure that we're not feeling super good about, about what's happening in Britain, um, whilst, you know, things uh, that we're supporting in India and various other places are really going quite tragically in the opposite direction. So there's something about having a global workforce where people are having very different experiences all of the time, including our customers, mm. and just, just being very sort of locally centric to, to all of those issues. But right, we're very right. pleased the strategy worked and we've been very successful uh, in the last, in the last uh, year. Mm. Um, and um, one last thing I'd say is our staff have been amazing. They've, you know, they're probably all exhausted, but they've been absolutely incredible. Yeah. And, and Danny, we just sort of share a bit, if you're able to, about the help that your team provided to India. On behalf of the UK government, yeah. So um, I mean, basically, we got we got a call saying um, Prime Minister has has offered some assistance uh, to India. You know, you can see it's incredibly important to help around the world, and um, and so we were asked on Friday night, could we get all of the ventilators and the equipment into Indian hospitals as a matter of urgency by Tuesday? They were there. Well, wow. um, and then latterly, a couple of weeks ago, we hired an Antonov one two four, and we used that. Um, to ship oxygen generators from Belfast across into India. You know, just real sort of urgent, rapid response. Um, staff are brilliant again, drop everything, make it all happen. You know, unfortunately, it's, 
it's monitored closely, you know, because we've got journalists all over the place, you know, very interested in the story. Uh, but, you know, staff have been absolutely amazing and India have been, you know, very appreciative that, you know, we just got on with it quickly. Yeah. Well, no, well into you and the team. Thank you for that, Danny. Richard, would you introduce yourself and, and how it's affected Martin's properties? Yeah, thanks, Jonathan, and thanks for inviting me to be on the panel. Um, yes, Richard Bourne, CEO of Martin's Properties. We are a private property company, uh, UK-based. Um, I'm afraid that's not quite as global and far-reaching as Danny's impressive uh, summary just a second ago. Um, so we've, we've got a portfolio of, um, of commercial and residential property, mainly focused around Chelsea. Um, and uh, you can tell where this is going in terms of the impact on us. It's been quite a challenging 12 months really trying to um, support our customers. We call them customers rather than tenants. Um, uh, particularly the retail businesses have been quite severely impacted over the last 12 months as has been evidenced and seen in, in the national press. Um, so the challenge for, for us as a business has been really how we support our customers and make sure we try and keep them afloat and support their short-term issues for their cash flows um, without uh, taking ourselves down in the process. Um, so we've very similar, I mean, Danny gave a model example of the kind of things that CEOs look for and businesses have to plan for, but um, very much we, we broke it down into three phases, which was the emergency response, the consolidation, and then the recovery. Um, and the emergency response was very much, uh, thank God, we had a we had a disaster emergency planning committee, which was planning ahead for uh, certainly not COVID. No one even thought about that um, ahead of the of the uh, event. But um, we planned for a mass remote working situation. Um, unfortunately, our our, uh, our trial, and this is a lesson, our trial was the uh, was the real thing. Um, so our, our two day simulation became stay at home. Um, and uh, I'm pleased to say it worked out very well. So, uh, but, I, but I probably won't be leaving it quite so uh, so close to the bone next time. Um, but yeah, we 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 had to then think really about the financial side of things. So we had to model through various scenarios, um, and it's very difficult because how do you model out what you think is going to happen? How many customers are going to uh, have issues with their own cash flow situations? How many are going to survive? How many aren't? Um, what do we do with our banks and uh, our own? loan to value and ICR covenants. Um, so we just had to kind of produce a range of what we thought was a doomsday scenario up to the point of what we thought was um, a good situation. And I'm pleased to say we've come out at the end of the 12 months and we I don't think we're through it yet, but um, at the end of a 12 month period where we've, we've hit uh, our good situation. So, um, and that's through, through the team uh, working hard, through being clear and consistent, reforecasting and actually engaging our customers because uh, if you engage at the up, uh, at the outset and be clear, um, it's been we've been able to get through, cut to the the nub of the issue with each of them and support them. And I'm pleased to say, actually, uh, as a result, we've got all of ours bar two still in our portfolio. Um, and uh, and hopefully, from what I've seen on the on the King's Road at the moment, footfall is very good. And from what I hear, turnover is good. So fingers crossed, um, we can mm. start now looking at the recovery phase. Great, thanks, Richard. And over to Simon Brewer. Simon, a great deal of experience in business, but also runs a fantastic Money Maze podcast. So, Simon, would you introduce yourself and uh, your background, and then, and then perhaps how you've seen it? Because you've introduced, you've interviewed a number of fascinating top figures. What are you picking up, not only from yours, but from what they've said on your podcast? Yeah, and Jonathan, thank you very much for asking me. Um, and uh, Richard, I'm sitting here, my house is off the King's Road. So I've just gone, I've just been to I Smash on the King's Road and was frustrated by the number of people are keeping me waiting and the, the, the traffic was not moving. So it's evidence that something's happening and it's not roadworks. Um, Suddenly, that's not one of ours, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, Look, I mean, I'm probably a little unusual in that I have sort of, having spent most of my life at Morgan Stanley, where I ended up as their chief investment officer, I, I'm plural. So I run this podcasting business. So there's a perspective there. I'm an advisor to Rothschild. So I see sort of various, you know, various, and I chair a charity. And, 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 and um, I guess a couple of things strike me. Um, and we might talk about the UK economy and inflation sort of down the way. Mm. But I think that the, the, uh, there are businesses where there is a reluctance to return. But in, in, in a lot of businesses, the impatience to get back um, in professional services is palpable. And um, a pal of mine in assets on the board of Morgan Stanley made the point the other day that they were actively saying, and they, their slogan was, we're better when we work together. And whilst this hybrid model is you know, obviously 
the, the current narrative, I suspect that we will fall into something that looks more like working from the office than home for the 60%. And, you know, and we'll see, does it matter? No, it depends on it does so i think that um i want to jump into the bit about you know the economy right now um because i think that probably jonathan will talk about that later on but from my specific two hats the podcasting hat which is you know all what's going on in the world of communications it's all about content it's all about access tailwinds have been provided probably by what's you know what what's happened um and you've seen with some of these big media deals and you've seen with the discussion today about the potential dismemberment of the bbc there are some sacred icons um, which have to be reviewed. And I think that the analogy actually by Pete Davis, who is the, you know, the brilliant lead portfolio manager at Lansdowne, and I, Brian may be on this, he said to me two days ago, he said, you know, really this is, should be viewed through the lens of the post-World War II Britain. Yeah. There are, you know, are extraordinary opportunities and they have come partly because of Brexit, but mostly because pandemic has forced on and whether it's you know, whatever the business is, it's either revealed cracks or it's reconfirmed a new operating model is required. And that's extraordinarily exciting and, and somewhat, you know, and perhaps somewhat terrifying. But there's a flexibility and a malleability that I see in the businesses with which I'm involved that you know, leads me to be extremely encouraged. Um, I'll leave it there. Yeah, Simon, thank you. Fascinating. And we're very lucky to have Sir Peter Wantless, the CEO of the NSPCC. Peter, uh, by way of introduction, just uh, a bit about um, what the NSPCC does for those very few people who don't know, and then perhaps what your thoughts are about how it's affected you and your amazing charity. Thanks, Jonathan. So, yes, uh, Peter Wantless, Chief Executive of the NSPCC. Um, our um, charitable purpose is to prevent the cruelty to children particularly the abuse and neglect of, of children. Uh, we run services, Childline's probably the one that most people are uh, familiar with, but we also work directly with some of the most vulnerable children and families uh, across the country. And uh, we campaign and seek to influence and improve things um, for, for all children so that they get the best start in life, which, which they deserve. In terms of the the, the pandemic, I mean, this has been an incredibly challenging time for, for children and young people, many more of them out of reach, out of sight, um, out of mind in terms of many of the most important relationships in their lives and people that they could turn to when they had um, worries or were in, were in need of support. Um, and that's happening uh, at a time when, uh, as a charity that depends over 90% on voluntary donations of one kind or another, we had a whole host of plans which involved people getting out and about and enjoying themselves and coming together and, and, and raising money. And all of that had to be inv invented. So demands go in one way, supply of cash is kind of going the other way. Um, some of our services have never been locked down. So Childline um, uh, volunteers and staff were rapidly designated as key workers and they've been here for children throughout the lockdowns and, uh, and out the other side. And um, whereas others of us, myself included, have had to step right back to ensure that they have the physical space to operate in, which is safe and, um, and secure for them. Um, a number of our ways of working have been reinvented rapidly to enable us to be the best we can for uh, children through this unprecedented period of uncertainty, like other colleagues um, on the call, um, all sorts of issues and challenges and questions around looking after uh, our staff, um, our volunteers, one another to be the best we can for children and yeah, fundamentally securing the, the finances of the organisation so we can keep doing um, the best we can in, in this environment. So no shortage of challenges, but in some ways it really has brought out uh, the best in people as well. There's been a really incredible sense of pulling together at vital times. And I've certainly felt a huge sense of uh, responsibility to be there uh, for children when many others weren't um, able uh, uh, to do so. So yeah, a lot yeah. of pressure and now coming out the other side, what are we gonna hold on to? Um, uh, what do we need to kind of forget and get back to basics on? Fascinating, thank you, uh, Peter. That's uh, really, really interesting. And we'll carry on those kind of conversations. John, John Dutton, um, will you explain, John, the role you do and, and how it, pandemics affected you and uh, your priorities? 
Thanks very much, Jonathan, and uh, thank you very much for the opportunity. Uh, so I'm John Dutton, I'm the Chief Executive of the Rugby League World Cup 2021. Uh, we are staging a major global sporting event uh, in just over 150 days' time, fingers crossed. Uh, we're running the men's, women's and wheelchair tournaments together for the first time ever. We have 21 nations coming to play in our tournament, 61 games across 21 venues. Um, so I guess for us, and, and maybe the diff point of difference uh, between the other Panelists is we're a pop-up company. Um, I've actually been working on this project for five and a half years, and so we know within touching of the tournament. So we have a start, we have a middle, and inevitably we have an end. And of course, like all um, complex projects, we start off with a plan. Um, we're trucking quite nicely. We've lived through Brexit. We've got a very strong political influence. We've got a significant amount of money from um, Majesty's Treasury uh, riding on this tournament. And of course, then into the pandemic, when we were really sort of scaling up, we'd just undertaken our draw at Buckingham Palace, uh, Prince Harry's last ever public uh, engagement, and um, everything looked pretty good. Uh, the pandemic's come, delivered uncertainty, and that's what we've been trying to manage, is to try and predict future, manage uncertainty, agile. The plan that we had at the start is no, long, no longer the plan, and, and to try and land this with uh, not knowing how we can get people into the country, how we can get people out, the safety and security of those people, anything we can have in our stadia, and of course then running a business plan um, across multiple different scenarios. Um, so I, I think a lot, like many of the panelists have said, and, and, and Peter in particular, just, just the learnings of uh, people really stepping up, uh, learning new skills as we have gone, the ability to, I've just had sat through a board meeting where we've had a really complex issue feeling confident to say I'm not quite sure how we're going to pay for that how we're going to fund that and how we're going to manage that but having the confidence to do that and I certainly don't think I would have done that five and a half years ago so it's definitely changed uh, me as a person uh, it's changed I think some of the people around us uh, and, and just that time now time is such a precious commodity uh, no longer on our side so uh, we are respecting every single second of it. Yeah uh, thank you for that John and, and uh, some of the other members of the uh, the Sears Inspiring Leadership Club, uh, the board you can't afford. People like uh, Darren Moorcroft, uh, the, the CEO of the Woodland Trust, are talking about what he's doing in this uh, situation. Uh, Martin Williams with Gaucho and M Restaurants as he's reopening those. Uh, William Russell, uh, our Lord Mayor, who's often attends and was talking about just being uh, 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 turning up to uh, at the opening of an envelope, as he would describe it. Any kind of event where you can see the City of London opening up and, and he's appearing a lot on social media. And then Brian Hayworth with Lansdowne Partners and Emma Kane with People's Comms and PR. I think a couple of things that came up for me before I pass on to Danny to build on what we've been talking, carry the conversation on Danny, if you would, in a moment. Um, I do think that, that, you know, it's such a big event. They're going to describe it as the pandemic or the endemic era, uh, the scientists that I know. So this isn't a pandemic, this is an endemic. It's gonna be with us always. And it's not a question of if wave three hits, but when will wave three hits? How serious will it be? What variants will we have? And that you have to have that flexibility to adapt. I've been listening to the audio book of endurance by Sir, uh, about Sir Ernest Shackleton. And what a story. If any of you as a leader need to understand about adapting and just as they were in the Weddell Sea, on drifting around on the ice, which was breaking up underneath them with no land in sight, thinking they were getting close. The wind was blowing them towards the, the tip of um, South America and they might make land. And that was great, they're almost there. And then the wind changed and, and blew them back again, miles away from it. And you know, all sorts of things to landing in South Georgia, thinking they made it, but then their rudder was broken, but they hadn't landed at the whaling station. They landed on the opposite side and they had to cross over the mountains, which no one has ever done since, apart from once in 1955, and they were in 1917. The team in 1955 had all the explorers kit, oxygen masks, the whole lot. Uh, these guys had 20 meters of rope and some boots with some nails knocked into them. I mean, and they made it. So, so I think this, this thing about people are tired and fatigued, but they've got to have the stamina and the endurance to adapt to all sorts of things. We were always taught in the military, no plan survives the first meeting with the enemy. General von Molk, the senior, as he was planning his Schlieffen plan and in the invasion of Belgium and Holland and into Northern France. And, and this endemic and wave three is, 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 you've got to be prepared for almost anything happening. 
And, and yes, people are massively impatient to get back and they go, I've gone through all this. I've had enough. I'm fed up. I want to be back at work. This is not fair. They can't understand that sort of stoic philosophy. Life isn't fair. Get over it. And, and I think having this resilience that how will things adapt and how will we adapt? And, and back to your point, Richard, about, about having plans, war plans, scenario planning. If this goes, Danny's doing it all the time with different parts of the world. So, so maybe... Um, that's it. And before I hand on to Danny, Think Again by Adam Grant is a great audio book because it makes you think again of your cognitive dissonance and um, of what they call the, the Dunning-Kruger effect, where your competence out, your confidence outdoes your competence. So you get very confident people who have no competence whatsoever, but they overestimate their ability and underestimate what will go wrong. So there's a whole load of things to talk about on that. So Danny, what's your freshest thinking on this topic of the pandemic, the challenges, how you've learned from it and, and uh, tips for others listening? Yeah, well, uh, amongst the steam colleagues, you know, it's each of us has a unique um, challenge in, in environment, which is, which is different, but we all probably have something in common, which is actually people are expecting us to make decisions around creating a better future. Um, and that takes an awful lot of thinking. And actually, you've got to clear your space in your diary and in your head to do some really good thinking. Um, but also, you've got to do it quickly. And then you've got to act quickly. And I think those are, those are rare combinations in my career where I've actually had to find the time uh, in very short order and make hard decisions and then win the confidence of the board, many of which think this is going to be over quickly. Um, now, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I started with thinking, well, the number one thing I need to do after I've got everybody into a place of, of safety uh, is, is make savings. But the first thing that happens when you start cutting is, is, is you lose the motivation and energy of your workforce. Because if the only thing they can see is that actually you're just not going to spend any money, you're just going to start cutting and reducing heads and you know, stripping back. Um, really quickly, people are unmotivated and really quickly people start fearing, what does this mean for me in this organization that I, I joined? Um, and so I, I got myself really, uh, as soon as I could get out of the reality of how, how much this would financially affect us, I got myself into the next place of saying, how do I keep people motivated and focused? Um, and so I thought about two things and, it, and there was a lot of research that I did privately on my own in my study and tested a few ideas and got some people working on it. Um, but one of them was, was, uh, was in particular that we would grow our way out of the difficulties of COVID-19 um, and get people focused on the energy of growth and creativity. Uh, and then a long-term aspiration, which was buried in our history as an organization was we were great innovators. We were great at science, great at tech, but it kind of got lost in, in this sort of history of service and projects. Um, and so I wanted people to feel, especially the engineers in the organization, feel a bit inspired by you know, going back to our to our roots. So if we, we, um, so we actually really focused on, you know, how do we, how do we create energy amongst our total workforce at a time when they're feeling frightened and de-energized. Uh, and I was talking to the HR director the other day, uh, and he actually said, probably the most powerful thing about our strategy was being able to turn around to the HR department who are engaging with all our managers around the world and say, we're going to grow our way out of COVID-19 difficulties. Now that doesn't relate to everybody, but it's the point, the point I wanted to make was around energy and motivation, capturing the imagination of people at a time of crisis. And, and then being able to help carry people through that as a, with a simple, strong message. Um, and I think that's probably the more powerful thing that we've done uh, to give people resilience is, give, is giving people some hope and giving people some, some direction. Mm. And as I say, um, you know, it, it came at a time when was really busy and got to try and find the time to think and act and, and be quick about it. Um, and that's not often in, in our careers that we have to do that. Yeah, brilliant insights. Thank you, Danny. Richard, um, what's your freshest thinking on this? And, and also, how, how has the return to the office been for you and the team? And what have people's fears and hopes been? Yeah, I'll just follow on from Danny a little bit there and just talk about the team, if I may, to start. I think um, one thing that uh, I, I also thought was important was to set that kind of clear vision about and make sure the team felt reassured. So we very quickly reassured them that we weren't going to be cutting costs. Um, and I actually used a sport analogy at the very outset and said that actually we're a, 
if you imagine we're a sport team um, facing a difficult away opposition right now, we've all got to stay in position and be ready to take the ball because there's going to be people getting hounded at certain points in time and we need to be there to support them. So even if you're, you consider your role to be a sort of administrative person or even the front of house person, actually, you still have a role to play. Um, and uh, we tried to reinforce that. We, we set up regular uh, team meetings and those adapted over time because we felt actually they were getting too much and became a little bit formulaic. So we, we cut it down to once a week, actually having a team meeting. What are your priorities? What do you need from the team? What are the updates? What's going on? Um, and then we introduced Wellness Wednesdays. So we had a, uh, an opportunity to, to look at people in the eye on a, on a virtually on a team's call. It's the best uh, alternative at that point in time. Um, and I was using that as an opportunity to look at body language and see how people were doing, uh, react off that, talk to line managers, make sure they were picking up on people who were what I thought to be struggling. Um, and we introduced newsletters and tips and fun activities and things like that. So what we tried to do was, was keep the, um, take the office to home. And, um, and I think uh, that leads me into that next part about the office. And one of the things that it um, compelled me to do at the time was to look at the benefits of homeworking. And clearly everybody was focused on the uh, clear benefits of being more, spending more time at home with family and uh, less time commuting, uh, all, all those obvious benefits. But so, so why are we spending all the money on an office? And uh, I really strongly believe that the office is the glue that holds that team together and I know we managed it virtually but god it was hard work um, and uh, now we're back in the office I think we're seeing that and everybody's just saying how efficient it is to be able to go and have a chat with people sort things out and you know the office is the place where we come to train to collaborate educate and socialize and it has a huge, huge benefit to um, particularly a small team, but I think to teams within teams. Um, and uh, so far, I mean, so good, but we, we've got, I'd say nine, nine out of 10 are very happy to be back. Um, but there, there are, you know, you, you're always gonna have challenges and people live further away who have uh, longer commutes with more difficult commutes and tubes and trains, et cetera. Um, that's been the biggest sort of challenge and feedback, I suppose, but it's, um, it's so far so good. Yeah. Very happy to have people back. Great, thanks, Richard. And, and then, and then, Simon, you touched on it before. Um, when we, it's nice to get these different angles and different perspectives. It's like looking at a one of those beach balls with different coloured segments to the ball, and people see it from different angles. Uh, I, I think you were touching on the impact on the UK economy and inflation and choke points. Do you want to talk a bit about that, particularly with the the level of people you've had on your Money Maze podcast? There. They're, they're thinking at strategic levels of what's going on in the world and things like that. Do you want to share a bit about what you're picking up? I think we just, Simon, we, we haven't quite got good reception at the moment. I'll, I'll come back to you, Simon, if I may, because it's cut up at the moment. But Peter, would you um, share a bit more about what, what you've experienced about the pandemic and some lessons that you're taking into the future? I recognise very much what Danny was saying about energising people and creating a really strong and shared sense of direction. So um, uh, there is real financial jeopardy when you are a charity that depends on uh, donations uh, as we do. And people imagine, oh, they've been here 135 years. We don't need to worry about that. And uh, that really uh, isn't the case. So I can't kind of make false promises about us growing to here or there, but we can set, uh, inspire and energize people. So we had been having a really big conversation inside and outside the organisation about where and how could the NSPCC make its most distinct contribution to preventing the abuse and neglect of children and have got very excited with many, many partners about um, three things, that keeping children safe can be everyone's responsibility and we can all play a part in that that the online world should be as safe as the offline world and there are some urgent and immediate things we can do there and that every child should be able to speak out, be heard and, and understood. So we, I am confident we directly and indirectly can make a palpable positive difference to those mm -hmm. three huge things. So that's something to rally around and encourage people 
um, to make a positive difference to. Um, but I think that charities, if I reflect on what I have learned, you know, charities have traded on the, um, the, the, the brilliance and the heart of their, of their mission. And you can, your comments, Jonathan, about being kind of stoic and just, you know, pull your socks up and get on with it. Um, we can um, exploit people because of the importance of what we're about. And actually something I have really appreciated through these prolonged kind of lockdowns and kind of dislocations of teams and relationships is that really paying, careful, diligent attention to how people are feeling about themselves and one another so they can give of their best towards the mission um, really matters. Yeah. Um, and so um, uh, like Richard, we have been thinking really hard about wellness and well-being and uh, offering special kind of opportunities for people to come together and acknowledge and reflect on the very many things they're having to balance in their lives, still with the impact for children absolutely being um, first, but with more explicit appreciation of um, what people, whether they are volunteers or whether they are staff, are bringing to the table in their in their broader lives so I think that's been um, mm. a, a particular lesson and it's and it's uh, it's 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 work in progress and I think we've got lots to learn from one another on that front. Great uh, thank you for that uh, Peter I'm going to try Simon again but I, I, I know he's he's keeps freezing and heading out so John uh, would you perhaps pick up the pace um, with this with this your latest thinking on uh, this particular topic yeah, sure. I've, I've just been making a few notes as um, we've gone through the panelists. Uh, starting off with what Danny said about reflection, um, I find that really important. I, I've asked my senior leadership team to use some of the tools that are available to find time in the diary to reflect and make sure that we are directing, not doing. And certainly that's been a developing theme as we've gone through uh, the pandemic. Um, I think we, we very much copied uh, Richard, I, Richard's idea. Uh, we call it Wellbeing uh, Wednesday. Um, but having a chance um, to um, just stop on Teams and Zoom and the relentless video calls. Uh, and actually we, we, we made that a, a video call free afternoon, but we also gave that time back and we encouraged people to, when they were able, go for a walk with colleagues. Um, when um, we have been together, we, we, we've actually sort of booked the trend. We've recruited all the way through the pandemic, and then we've we've virtually onboarded through the pandemic. So a lot of my teams still haven't yet met each other in person, and um, sort of goes against what we've tried to do is building this team and this culture as a physical event uh, that we're ultimately going to deliver. Uh, but also um, encouraging people to do some CPD um, during Wellbeing uh, Wednesday. Um, Anxiety has been really high. We've got a lot of very young people, got people who live on their own, and the delineation between work uh, and life. So well-being is something we've taken incredibly seriously and, and a lot of new teammates, some some people we've not really um, worked with before and they've obviously been onboarded uh, during that. And we're in now a hybrid um, ramping up where we took an office on the 1st of December, we followed the government guidelines, we haven't actually been in the office, but now we've decided uh, because people want to be. I think a lot of what people said, people desire uh, to have that social contact. So we're gently uh, getting people back into the office and uh, hoping to do that um, fully before um, the 21st of June. Um, so, so lots of different things. There isn't one um, silver bullet or answer to this and it goes back to my earlier point. We've learned so much um, as we have gone. Um, the world has been enormously disrupted. Maybe some of the things we've taken for granted, we will never ever take for granted um, again. And maybe that will force some really good uh, behaviours. Yeah, thanks, John. And uh, before I pass over to Danny, um, I'd be interested, Danny, in a minute about your, your view on a sort of the global perspective of what's going on and what you're, you're reading and things. But I, I think it is interesting that, that many things will never be the same again. And, and this acceleration of change and the use of technology and letting go of a lot of stuff. I mean, I have enjoyed reading No Rules Rules by um, Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix. Uh, and and the, the, it was Emma Kane who recommended it on one of these uh, podcasts. Uh, and, and this idea of uh, much more trust with people you can trust who are keepers um, and more responsibility and, and decisions made at the lowest possible level um, so that uh, the CEOs are decision evaluators with review points 
but they're paid to think not to be busy and to make as as Danny and I and Peter have talked at times three decisions a year that's what you're paid for you've got to work out what the three are and 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 make them and get that right but I, I do think it's never going to be the same again and we need to accelerate and prepare for as one uh, scientist said to me this is the slowest it will ever be today is the slowest it will ever be and that's pretty scary for some people who are already tired and going can we just stop stop the roundabout I just I'm tired and I just want a bit of a break I'm afraid it's not going to be like that but that's why you need to pace it and see this as a triathlon not as a sprint or even a marathon but there are transitions and no one's going to tell you how many times you're going to have to swim around the lake before you get out and do the cycle route of many laps before you then go and do the run of many laps which Richard knows all about being an extreme uh, event of those kind of events and then you're going to go back in the pool again so Danny what's what's your thought of of what this means for the UK. I mean, you've had to look at it from the UK with Brexit and all that goes on. And uh, is the UK out of the woods yet? What's the impact on other countries? Because we are all so interconnected. What's what's your perspective on this and the pandemic? Um, uh, well, it's a huge question. Um, I, I, I mean, every country's uh, in danger of, of only sorting itself out. And I think that's probably a real problem for the world uh, because actually the pandemic is not going to resolve uh, at the rate that every single other country, um, uh, at the same rate in every country. And, and at the moment, uh, we're sort of facing the end of globalization if we're not careful. And we all rely on uh, an intercon intercontinental supply chain, an intercontinental lifestyle. Uh, you know, many of us um, sort of take for granted uh, the fact that our supply chains provide equipment and goods that go into our domestic lives. Um, and, uh, and those are heavily disrupted. Um, and they're disrupted by a pandemic that doesn't show any real signs right now of, of going away. Um, and uh, so I think, I think um, you know, what's going to be important, uh, whether you're business leaders or politicians, uh, is just to remember that you know, you're, you're part of something bigger, you're part of something more complex, and we're more intertwined across the world than we've probably ever been at a time when everyone's trying to sort themselves out. And, um, and so there is a macro picture that we all, in some ways, need to, need to understand and interpret and how that affects our teams and our businesses um, and even our lives. But, but also there's a micro picture because we're all in danger of tomorrow being quite different from today. And, and I just I just agree with you, you, your sort of insights, Jonathan, that the world is not going to slow down. It's not going to get any easier. So learning techniques, uh, perhaps as a leader, on the things that are most important that you need to do and address and letting go of the other things, letting go of the things that you did today, tomorrow, because actually tomorrow they just might not be important. Mm -hmm. And um, and that probably means for resilience and dynamics. Yeah, very true. And, and going from that, I'm sure, Richard, you got some points, but I'm interested, Richard, because you know, your fitness and your health is something you've worked hard on. You try and get your people to do the same. What's been your kind of personal routines as a CEO that you've done each day to, to pace yourself for the long game? For this is going to go on for months and years. How, how are you looking after your health and well-being? What, what's your daily routine? I'm not sure I am. I feel knackered. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, no, I, I've, I've tried to keep the routine, as you said. I think, you know, it, it's easy to kind of get into a slightly more lazy, get up a bit later, um, skip the, the kind of the gym or whatever it's going to be. Um, I used to have a routine, which was to get up, run to the gym, do a workout and then go across the office. And that was my routine every day. Um, and I find I found that really important for my mental well-being, for my physical health. Um, it's a chance to have my sort of download space, my sort of charge up time before I got into the office and uh, be prepared. So I've carried on doing that throughout, even being at home. So I've got up at the same time, gone for a run. Um, I haven't actually gone to the gym, but I've tried to do a few press ups and uh, sort of pretend at it um, and, uh, and try, try and eat healthily. So I've just embarked on another stupid challenge. So I'm doing now trying to run virtually from Land's End to John O'Groats, um, which is... Uh, in the course of a year so that's five kilometers a day every day for a year um so uh it's a bit of a stupid thing to do in, a, in the midst of a pandemic when there's extra extra challenge but i I've, i've said that to the team actually is just make sure um you give yourself time you exercise get some fresh air um 
yeah, it's really, really important. And if you can keep that routine, uh, I think we've seen a lot of people um, changing their habits throughout the week as well as um, throughout sort of months. And they get exhausted and they've just talked about how it's quite tiring back in the office. It's another change of routine. Um, and I hasten to add, uh, although the government guidelines are indeed correct that we perhaps shouldn't be in the office, um, it's, uh, it's on a socially distanced and uh, COVID safe environment. <clears throat> and um, uh, the other thing, the sort of, as you say, changes are here to last. And we took a very early decision last year that um, we'll carry on learning from the working from home. So I've made, a, made it clear, we're gonna carry on working from home two days a week, Mondays and Tuesdays, but Wednesdays to Fridays are office days when we can come together collectively as a unit. Um, I think the whole flexible come and go when you want, you don't get the benefits of the office, so. Yeah, no, that's uh, great advice. And uh, we've got Simon Brewer back. Simon, give us a thumbs up if you can hear us okay. And I'll, I'll get Peter to go next with, um, Peter, I'd, I'd be interested particularly because you've served um, in some fascinating roles in government as well. I don't know, your, your perspective of what you see going on uh, with the pandemic in this country, I don't know whether it be how it affects your charity and other things like that, but just any insights you've got from, from the wisdom experience you've had in many areas of government as well as a, as a civil servant. Oh, I'm long gone from being an expert on commenting on how government works. Uh, these days it does um, it works i think it? <laughs> i think i think uh i think we've been well served by the um the efforts to um do some sort of medium-term planning you know to create some dates which everyone knows uh may the 17th june the 21st um if this happens that can happen all the rest but i think in the early days of the pandemic this kind of every Friday evening getting, getting another version of the guidance out about what you, you could and couldn't do um, as an mm. adult working with children and all the rest of it was just bewildering. Um, mm. and, and, and it was a kind of false economy creating an awful lot of work for all sorts of people to produce guidance which was so detailed and, uh, and, and arrived at exactly the wrong time that no one had time to read it and everyone felt confused and for young people all they could see were adults squabbling with one another about tremendous uncertainty so I do I feel like at a big kind of strategic level we're in a better space to have a bit more intelligent conversation about where we are and what might happen next and I think in all businesses that sort of sense of having something a context to plan within mm. uh, works works well um, I, I was hoping that um, Richard is raising some money for a good cause on the back of that incredibly grueling um, regime that you put he in, does he does a lot of yourself it. through because you know it, it, uh, uh, fund, fundraising and the, and the impact that will have on the economic environment is something I am think, thinking about a lot. Uh, people have been extraordinarily um, generous and creative and inventive short term um, to support organisations uh, like ours. And with some of that generosity has come extra activity short term. Um, as well. So mm. it's helped us be here for children, but it doesn't help you plan what you're going to be doing two, three, four years um, at, yeah. at into the yeah. future. So one of the big challenges, I think, for organisations like ourselves is how to um, encourage and enable and discover ways in which people can give on a regular, predictable basis to help us plan regular and predictable services for regular and predictable needs which um, children and young people will have. And that kind of... Um, medium-term frame of, 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 of government planning is going to be helpful in, in a context in which I think increasingly people are very much more um, spontaneous mm. about, their, about yeah. their giving. I mean, there's all sorts of things we could talk about. Yeah. There's no, a few random thoughts. <laughs> very good. Very good. Well, I'm going to do Simon, uh, who's back on next, and then John. And then I'd ask just we go around once more with sort of a final top tip you'd give people uh, that you found a bit of advice that's worked well in the pandemic from a practical point of view. If each of you just share that in, in, in less than uh, uh, a minute. But Simon, could you cover a bit on, you know, big inflation, choke points, those kind of ideas, disruption to what's going on? You've, you've interviewed some fascinating people who see things strategically. And thank you for sort of get technology and coming back on. We're very grateful for that. I'm clearly, I'm clearly, I've concluded that being in Chelsea is not good for broadband. So there we go. But um, I, um, 
Look, I think that the expression that is now well circulated, which is the UK economy is the uncoiled spring, is in front of our eyes uncoiling with some really rapid growth numbers that will that will, that will be amongst the world's best. There's some reasons technically about how GDP was calculated that made it look like the downturn was worse, which will then be shown in number. That's but that's happening. There are industries, of course, that we know are going to find life is more difficult. They're industries in transition. What happens afterwards? Because many of us thought after the great financial crisis that an inflation would come and it didn't come. And now we've had this, what could have been for, for many, an absolute sort of depression, you know, pandemic, but the authorities have pumped money at the system and rates are too low. So my point is, is that we're seeing inflation turning up everywhere. Rents, house prices, semiconductor prices, agricultural food stock, container ship rates. It's going, in my opinion, to seep through the economy. We haven't had an inflation. So what does that mean? That means that interest rates are simply too low. We all know that that's the wrong level of interest rates. So if you've got debt, you better fix it if you can. And if you can't fix it, then you better think about you know, your debt equity ratios. Because when we go from the big growth in this year and into next year, and some of that consumption then starts to sort of slow. I suspect we get quite a big inflation and that will have the, the central banks are going to say the inflationary problems are temporary that because of base effects, they will pass through because they're sitting with a stock of, of debt, which is post the Napoleonic War, post the Second World War. How do you deal with it? You let inflation run, and you keep interest rates low and you work down the stock of debt. That's the game that will be played. And it's a game. And I'm absolutely sure of it. So my point is simply that there's a big resurgence in economic activity. I think what follows that is an inflation. And that's not been in most people's recent memory. And one needs to think about what that means for the business you are in. Wow. Yeah. Very interesting. Thank you, Simon. Fascinating. John, your, um, your final few thoughts just in a, a minute or two, and then we'll just do one round with everybody in about 30 seconds with their top tip. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. Maybe to start off where you posed the question about um, some of the acceleration of change. Uh, so if we think about sport, entertainment, how we have consumed that, that was changing significantly before the pandemic. I believe the pandemic will massively accelerate that change. And, and that's really interesting uh, as we start to go through from a sports perspective, people coming back into stadia, feeling safe, um, ethical decision-making, which again, was um, we were start seeing some trends from a customer perspective. I think the, the pandemic just has disrupted all of that. Um, and in particular, the, the, the digital consumption, um, we are seeing a massive uh, change in uh, the behaviour in the sports industry. Great. Guys, so just the last three minutes, uh, Danny, what would be your top, top practical tip for, for people managing in the pandemic? Uh, strategy wise create don't wait you know create, speed yeah. is essential you know don't dither yeah speed yeah um, secondly i've encouraged all my managers uh during a time of great pressure on staff to be kind right yeah. rather than demand 100 percent all the time if 80 percent is good enough give people a bit of a break 80 percent is fine except 80 percent if you need 100 percent, tell them it's 100 percent. yeah uh, and then i think the third thing is um you know, just enjoy this time actually with your family because um, it's a rare treat. Uh, I'm enjoying having dinner with my family most evenings. Um, you know, it's um, it's been a privilege to get to know my kids much better. Uh, before I'd, I'd get in very late and and for a week in every month, I'm somewhere in the world. And uh, and I've just had this unique year where I've, I've really got to know my family and I've loved it. Yeah, thanks, Danny. Richard, what would be your, your top tip? I think um, make sure you've got a good team around you um, within the business and externally and um, learn to delegate. <clears throat> you can't uh, manage everything yourself. Uh, and I think, you know, these things do end. So, you know, the pessimist sees difficulty in every opportunity, but the op uh, optimist sees opportunity in every difficulty. And um, mm -hmm. I think we're in a phase now where it's finding out what, uh, what the pace of change means and where the opportunities lie. Great. Thank you. So Peter Wallace, what, what would be your top tip? I think uh, trust, uh, building and sustaining trust really matters. I, we've always had home workers. And I remember a blog that one of our home workers wrote pre-pandemic about how she felt guilty about nipping out to hang the washing up, or washing on the line um, during the day, which is kind of ludicrous because now all of us are hanging our washing up at particular moments and taking breaks between video meetings and all the rest of it. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter so long as the job gets done. And, and my reflection, I am increasingly appreciative of my chair of governors uh, and the board who haven't got involved in 
all sorts of incredibly complicated but difficult operational details about which staff are working where and when and, and all, all of that kind of stuff. They need to know that we are helping children and keeping the show on the road and, and, and raising enough uh, money. And so, yeah, concentrate on the big stuff and trust and enable your people to uh, look after the rest. Brilliant. Great advice. Thanks, Peter. Uh, Simon, what would be your top tip you'd leave people with? I think for businesses, uh, think big. You know, there's a whole shifting landscape that creates terrific opportunity. And the, we always ask our guests, and we've had, we had this incredible array of guests, and we always ask them about the youth. So the two top tips that keep on coming back for youth, which resonate, and I've got three children, you know, who may not listen to me, but I'm going to try to get them to listen to it. Number one, be courageous. And number two, follow your passion. Yeah, yeah, great. Thank you very much for that, Simon. John? I think from a team perspective, uh, looking out for each other and looking after each other. Uh, I think from a business perspective, right here, right now, pragmatism and prioritisation. Yeah. And thank you, guys. I just want to say on behalf of uh, all of us, really appreciate the insights. And my top tip that I'll leave us with is work is an activity. It's not a time or a place. So when you say you're working, make sure you get it balanced around all the things that matter to you. Because as I uh, face into... Um, my uh, brother who is terminally ill and dying of cancer in the next few months you get things in priority in the right perspective so let's make sure we keep things in perspective and we look after as danny said our families and our loved ones because they're the most important things at the end of the day thank you so much for your time i look forward to you joining us next month thanks guys bye for now So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, Get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.